All right, so we are uh, third sermon into our uh, the Great Eight, what I believe to be the greatest chapter in all of Scripture, Romans chapter eight. So you got a Bible? Uh, that's where you want to be this morning, uh, Romans chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one or a connect table. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, that would be really, really helpful. And then if you don't have a Bible, if, if all else fails, grab your phone. Uh, and there is on the YouVersion app, uh, you can uh, look at live events and you'll find my notes there. You can find Romans chapter eight out of the English Standard Version. We'd love to have you follow along. Uh, in that. So uh, my wife and I, uh, we have super different personalities. If you guys don't know, my wife is the one singing right over here, the beauty right over here singing. Uh, and, uh, and so we have kind of different personalities in how we will handle a situation as to uh, kind of how we would handle getting something done. Uh, the way that I handle getting something done is I want to get to uh, the result as fast as I possibly can uh, trying to get at something. I want to I take action. I want to put my hands to something very, very quickly. I want to get to the results as quickly as I can, sometimes maybe even passing over what I deem to be unnecessary steps uh, as, to, as to how to get to that result. Uh, and uh, for me, I mean, for me, when something is about 80 to 90% done, it's done. I mean, if it looks done, it's done, right? Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is a different personality. She, she, she's a planner, processor. She, she, she is a completion kind of person. She likes things to be done uh, to perfection, precision. Uh, and, uh, and, and so when uh, I'm kind of like, when, when it looks done, it probably is done. When, she, when, she's, you know, when she's done with something, it really is 100% done. Uh, and uh, and maybe even then some. She's done like three other jobs on the way there. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a different personality. And so when we get into this text, for me, uh, I have a hard time with it. Because last week, if you were here, I'll catch you up if you weren't, but if you were here, you, Pastor Will reminded us uh, that there is a conflict going on uh, in, in that, that Paul sets up in Romans chapter 7. And the conflict that he sets up is a battle that we have inside all of us that's raging between the Spirit of God that lives inside of us if we are Christians, and then kind of this old flesh that is still waging war against that Spirit. And so there's a conflict of how do we get things done? Do we do things the holy way or the way that we want or aspire to do them? Or do we do things the way that we used to do them in an old kind of sinful way? And we ask these kind of questions. Why do I keep doing what I know that I shouldn't be doing? Or why can't I do the things that I want to do or I aspire to do or I'm passionate about doing? Uh, so it's things like this. Why do I keep on getting depressed? I don't want to be depressed, but I keep on getting depressed. Why do I keep watching things on the internet? I know that I shouldn't watch those things on the internet, but I keep on doing it anyway. Why do I keep buying things that I know that I shouldn't and my budget can't allow, and I keep on buying them anyway? Why do I keep on eating unhealthy when I know that I need to eat healthy? Why do I, I just can't, it's, it's just this battle that keeps on raging within me. Why do I keep yelling at my kids? I don't want to yell at my kids, but it always comes out and I yell at my kids. There's this conflict within all of us and it's a battle and you're always kind of yelling at yourself saying, fix it. How do you fix this? I want to fix this. How do I fix this? And, and so Will came through and he's like, here's the battle. And he, he explained the whole thing. And he, he said, there's this conflict inside of all of us. And then he came out with his result. Here's, here's what he said. You can't fix it. That's pretty much the bottom line of his sermon. Am I right? Okay. And, and, and he said, there is nothing you can do to fix it. Great, right? 
And so the, I'm sitting there, right there in that seat, and I'm just like, well, that, that's great. For, for somebody who wants to put my hands to something tangible to do, I need the preacher to come up here and say, this is what you need to do. These are the actions that you need to take to fix your particular problem. But what Will said last week was that we are pretty helpless in who we are. And he said that God... Uh, does all of the work. And where he got that from, look up on the screen, we got Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, where Will was uh, last week. And this is, the, this is what he said. For God has done, here's the deal, for God has done what the law, what the law meaning these, these, things, that are, these things that are evil or wrong, weaken by the flesh. What God has done he, he, uh, he's what, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God has done something that we cannot do. That conflict, that battle that we want resolved, God has done something that we could not do. How did he do it? He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. It doesn't mean that he was sinful in the likeness of sinful flesh. He actually wasn't sinful. And this is what he did. He condemned sin in the flesh. He actually, what? Who did the work? God did the work, not us. And how did he, and what, what did he do it for? In order, I love this, in order that the righteous requirement, meaning the fix, how do we fix this? The righteous requirement of the law, what law? This law, okay, might be fulfilled where? In him? No, in us. We now have the ability to fix it because God has fixed it. And then he says, we who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, that's a big thing. Walking according to the spirit. And so he's saying, in this whole thing, God is at work. He is the one who can fix our issue. And when, So for someone like me who wants to put my hands to something so that I can go ahead and I can move ahead and I can fix it, this is a problem because I'm just like, then all of the control is in God's hands and not in my hands. I want to fix the problem. I want something to do. I want a religious act to do. I want some service to do. And God says, nope, you're only going to make it worse. And there's nothing that I can do. So the question for me is, what part do I play in my relationship with God? If there's truly nothing, does that mean really, really nothing? Is there nothing for me to do? And that's a very loaded question. But I think the scripture is quite clear as it pertains to this issue. Is there anything for us uh, us to do. And I'm going to give you a couple scriptures here. I'm going to look about on the screen. Uh, these, uh, these are, or I think the scripture is actually really clear as to our part in our relationship with God. I think it's going to say it over and over and over again. So this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 13. You look up on the screen and he says, truly, truly, this is Jesus saying, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, meaning missionaries, people with the truth, people with the gospel, people who are going to tell you the truth, whoever receives the one I send, who is it? He receives me, meaning Jesus. The truth of the gospel is received, and then whoever, get this, this is great, receives me, receives the one who sent me, who's the one who sent Jesus. God. That's a terrible God. Okay, there we go. God. All right. 
So who sent Jesus? God sent Jesus. Who's sending people with the truth? Jesus did. If you receive them, you receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus, you receive God. It's all reception. Every bit of it. In reception, do you do anything? Ah, uh, no. You just receive. Again, John chapter 3, 27. This is John the Baptist speaking. A person cannot, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. What does he mean by that? Whoop, God. He means from God, from heaven. That's where we receive things from. 1 Peter 5, 4. It's all over the scripture. No, these are just four scriptures. There's several. And when the chief shepherd, who's that? Somebody tell me. Jesus. Okay, there we go. Jesus appears, you will what? Give me that word. Receive the unfading crown of glory, which is whoop, heaven. Right? It all works together. We just simply receive. This is uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. It's John saying, but to, who, but to all who did what? receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We believe, we receive, we believe. These, these two things are synonymous. We receive, we believe what God has done. So what is our role? Our role is simply reception. What we see here in the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 8 is this whole idea that God does all of the work. There's nothing tangibly that we do. We just receive. And so a lot of us are looking for that tangible something that we can do, that piece of paper, that sacrament, some, that metal around our necks that says, yes, you have done enough to accomplish what uh, you have done enough to accomplish grace and you've earned it. And so therefore God owes you something but that's not how it works at all. Reception of Jesus happens simply by belief. We receive it. Now, Paul, who is writing Romans chapter 8, he knows this. He knows this full well because Paul has been transformed by Jesus. What's Paul's story? Paul hated Jesus. Hated him with everything he had. He was actually, Paul was a missionary to kill Christians. That was his function. He was going around killing Christians. And that he was completely dark. His mind was completely dark, submerged in darkness and evil. And then God just showed up one day. Actually, Jesus shows up one day in, in his life and opens up a small window inside of his mind and shines a light into it. And Paul just sits there and he receives. Read that story in, in, in the book of Acts. Paul does nothing to earn that. So Paul knows this well. He's actually hostile against God, which we'll read in just a second. And God comes and he receives him. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. So that's how salvation works. If you're wondering, okay, what is my relationship with God? How does that work? What do I need to do? Nothing. It's simply reception. Now, after reception, now I want to, I want to be very clear because Paul now is going to move into response, okay? So we've got reception in the first four verses. And now for, from verse five on through the rest of the chapter, he's going to begin to talk about what happens in response to us receiving God's grace. Okay, everybody with me? Say, I'm with you. Awesome. Okay. All right, so we're going to talk about the response. And here's the deal. Most of us think that God is just this quid pro quo type deal. God uh, you know, God works. We, we are the ones who do work with him and therefore we are owed something from God, but that's not true at all. We simply receive this gift. After reception comes the response. We go from death to life. We go from darkness to light. We go from chaos to peace. 
There's reception and then there's response. There's no actions, okay? So Paul knows this and the first place he goes is so not to be confusing. He doesn't want to, be, he doesn't want to confuse with, okay, now you have to do all these spiritual acts because you've received the gospel. No, he, he immediately goes to just the mind and he's going to talk about the mind for the first several verses of Romans chapter eight and this whole idea of how we respond. And so for the rest of the day, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the idea of what do we do? How do we have this life in the spirit, okay, we just looked, we looked at that just a second ago, and he said, he said, how do we live according to the spirit? And Paul is going to first talk about our mind. That's where everything starts. Most of us think that it happens just our actions. No, it's our mind. It's up here. And so that's where Paul starts. His responses begin here in the mind. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, we're going to see where he's going to start talking about uh, about the mind. Wow, I didn't erase this from last night. I gotta, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is my practice. Don't cheat. Okay. All right. Don't cheat. I practice these things. Okay, here we go. All right, so Romans chapter eight, verse five uh, through eight. So here we go. This four right here is super important. That four represents this kind of like, okay, we're, we're now transitioning from, uh, from this salvation or this reception into something that is different. We're now going to respond. He says, for those who live according to the flesh. Now, I want to be very careful here. When it says those who are living according to the flesh, he is talking about people who have not received the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. These are who live according to the flesh, set their mind, now set their mind on things of the flesh, meaning earthly things, things that do not, do not belong to the gospel, things that, are, things that are according to the flesh or according to evil or sinful things. Now, I love words like this where it says, but, but, you got to pay attention to the buts in the Bible. It's really important, okay? Those who live according to the Spirit, all right, we already saw that, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. A little bit later, we're going to talk about how, how do we actually do that? How do we set our minds on the Spirit? Uh, pretty important stuff. And then, he, then he's going to say four again, you know, kind of this, I'm, I'm moving forward into this because of or in evidence of we set our mind on, those who set our mind on the flesh is death. But here's the fun part. Those who set their mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So the idea that we want to set our minds or according to the Spirit, we want to make sure that our lives are lived according to the Spirit. The goal then is life and peace. Very important distinction. If you're wondering, okay, why would I ever want, why would I ever want to do this? Why would I ever aspire to make sure that my mind is set right? The reason is life and peace. Jesus said it himself, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more, what? Abundantly. He wants you to have life. He desires for you to have peace. And he's going to return again to those who are without him. For those with the mind set on the flesh, here's the deal. They're hostile to God. And this is where it gets really tough. They do not submit to God's law. Indeed, now this is where I want to say, this is where I want to make a big effort to say, this is why it's really important that you understand the whole reception thing, and we cannot, we, we have no ability to receive God's grace except for what God has done. It cannot. It cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's a tough statement to get our mind around. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They have no ability to. It's only those who have a mind of the Spirit, who are walking according to the Spirit, actually can please God. And so the question for us then, if Paul says that the only way that we can please God, that we can have a relationship, a peaceful, life-giving relationship with him, is that we walk according to the Spirit, how do we have a mind according to the Spirit? So I want to take the rest of our time this morning to think through, and, and this is where I think, which is fun for me, we can, actually be, we can actually give some tangible handles to this thing. We can actually have some, here's, here's some things that we can do and put our mind around and put our hands around that we can practice this week is setting our mind on the Spirit, okay? And so we're, we're going to walk through these things together. Now, our minds are incredibly complex, I believe that it is the, the most complex creation of God's whole universe is the human mind. Scientists are trying to figure out how the mind works. It's deep. It's complex. They're trying to re- replicate it with computers, but they, they can't. It's so complex. And so I think sometimes when we have wrong thoughts or people who have kind of stinking thinking, you know what I'm saying? Like they're just, they're just not thinking correctly. People are, are like, they have bad thoughts or wrong thoughts or evil thoughts or sinful thoughts. And we think to ourselves, man, I wish that they would just stop thinking that way. And we oversimplify the mind. We, we tend to think, oh, it's just like, I, I just hope this person stops thinking this way. Or usually it's a little bit more encouraging and people will say, you know what you just need to do? You need to think happy thoughts. Anybody ever said that or thought that or wanted somebody to do that or even said that to somebody? If you would just think happy thoughts, things would be better. Is that not an oversimplification of a complex brain? Sometimes we do that. So what I want to do this morning is kind of give to us, if we're going to set our minds on the spirit, I want to give to us some, how do we actually do that? Is there a process there? Is there something that God has gifted us to, to us that we can use on a real world basis? Not just, hey, uh, you know, hey, think happy thoughts. Don't worry, be happy. Like, I, I want to do something a little better than that. So I think there's a process there that we can indeed follow. So let's, so how do we set our, uh, how do we set our minds on the spirit? That is the question that I want to ask uh, this morning. Uh, so here we go. So um, I think a clear process is needed. Okay, here we go. There's two questions I want to ask. The two questions are this. How do I clear my mind of bad thoughts? So how do I clear my mind of bad thoughts? And then how do I, um, h- how do I set my mind on the spirit? How do I clear my mind of bad thoughts? And then how do I set my mind on the spirit. So let's look at bad thoughts because a lot of us struggle with just kind of that stinking thing and how do we figure out our minds are just a, just, a, just a conglomeration of really tough thoughts. So here we go. Here are the two questions that we want to ask. How do I clear my mind of bad thoughts? How do I set my mind on the spirit? Here's the deal. So dealing with bad thoughts, I want to, I want to give you two things here. Dealing with bad thoughts. The first thing is we, we need to take thoughts captive. All right. We want to take thoughts captive. And how do we do that? 2 Corinthians 10.5, up on the screen, it says this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, here's the fun part, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what the scripture says is where I got this point. 
Now, ladies, I know that it's Father's Day, but I want to tell you something secret about your husband. Uh, and, it's, and they don't like to talk about it. Maybe they have talked about it with you, but it's kind of secret. And here's the secret, is that sometimes there are nights where your husband lies in bed at night, wide awake, and they are thinking about killing people. <clears throat> uh, it's true, and husbands, you're going to get this when I say it. Here's the reason why. It's because late at night when everything is quiet and you're laying in bed, there are noises inside of your house that you don't know where they came from. And, and ladies, I'm not sure what you're thinking at this time, but here's what your husband is thinking. Your husband is thinking, if that's an intruder, this is my plan. <laughs> and he is running through numerous situations inside of his brain as to what he's going to do with this intruder how he's going to combat the intruder, how he is going to capture him, and, and, and what weapons he is going to use in order to subdue the intruder, okay? And then, you know, somewhere in the kitchen, there's going to be some kind of beatdown. And I'm not really sure. It's always in the kitchen for me. That's, that's how it works. I don't, I don't know. It, it, but, but I'm telling you, every single guy in this room has thought through this, and it gets them all riled up. And they're thinking through, how am I going to save my kids? How am I going to save my wife? How am I going to take care of this guy that's going to over, you know, how, they're thinking through all that stuff. If you're a husband, now be honest. Have you ever laid in bed and thought of that? Raise your hand. Just do it. Just do it. Yep. Okay. There you go. I know that you have. I'm a mind reader. All right. I know you have. You've thought through those situations. It has happened. In our thought life, there are intruders that come into our mind all the time. Thoughts that should not be there for someone who is trying to live according to the Spirit. They are temptations. They are depressing thoughts. They're evil thoughts. They're, they're, they're accusations. They're all sorts of intruders. And in our minds, we have to be able to captivate those thoughts. Just like we think that we're going to captivate that intruder in our home, we have to captivate those thoughts. And here's how you do it. Just take, If you're taking notes... If you're going to take every thought captive, you have to ask yourself this question. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to highlight it for you. It's, it, the Holy Spirit's going to say something to you. This is not a good thought. And you need to ask yourself this question. Is this thought good news? Is this thought good news? You can write that down. Is this thought good news? Is this lustful thought that I'm having good news? Is this depressing thought that I'm having good news? Is this anxiety good news? Does it correspond with what we know about God in the gospel? Is it good news? And it's just a simple yes or no question. It's not, it's not hard. This is not something that you have to really kind of work through a lot. It's just, is this thought good news, yes or no? If indeed it is a yes, then what we have to do next is we condemn the thought. We condemn the thought. We hold, a, we hold a jury right there in our mind and we have to begin condemning the thought. And here's what I mean by that. We have to think through, this thought is not honoring to God. This is not who I am. This, this thought is a lie. And I'm beginning to believe it. And if I don't captivate that and condemn that thought, then it's going to begin taking over my life. And so what has to happen is right then and there, we have to repent of our thoughts. We have to repent of our thoughts. Now, most of us think about repentance as it pertains to the things that we do and the things that we say. 
And most of the time, we don't even actually repent of anything until we're caught. But I think the scripture is pretty clear that we have to repent even of the things that we think about that are not honoring to what God would have us think about. And so it's not just our actions and the things that we say. We also have to repent of the things that we think. So we have to captivate it, hold it, hold it right there, captivate it, push it down, and then condemn it. Say, this is wrong, this is a lie, this is not what God wants me to think about, and begin to say, okay, it's out of here. It's gone, it's out of here. It began to kill it. So here's, here's, here's just a couple examples of how this might work. So a lot of ladies in here, and I know, I know you're out there, a lot of ladies in there, it's a very common thing to, to have feelings of inadequacy that you simply don't measure up in certain areas. And, and there you simply don't measure up to either your expectations or maybe some other's expectations. That you might not be good looking enough, that you're not a good enough wife, that you're not a good enough mother, that you're not a good enough worker, whatever it is that you have constant feelings of inadequacy. Now that's all happening up here in the mind. So how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, you have to, right? You have to captivate that thought. Once you begin to have those thoughts of, I I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I look good enough. I don't think I'm a good enough mother. Captivate that. Is that good news? Absolutely not. It's a clear no. All right, we have to begin condemning that thought. Obviously, that's a lie. Well, what do I know about God? I know that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I know very well that, that God thinks of me in a different way. How does he think of me? Well, he knows that he's perfect. He knows that he's adequate. He knows that he's enough. He knows that Jesus was enough. And Jesus did enough work on the cross to save me from my sins. And he says that I am in Christ. And if I am in Christ, then to God, I am adequate. I'm not inadequate. I am adequate because what God has done in my life. Now let's think about loneliness for a second. Folks who always feel like they're alone, that they don't have people that love them, that they don't think that God loves them. We have to captivate that thought for a second. Is that good news? Absolutely, that's not good news. We have to condemn that thought. Say, that's not right, that's a lie. How do I know it's a lie? Because God promised that he's always going to be with me. Jesus himself said, I am going to be with you to the end of the age. That's obviously a lie. That means that God is with me all of the time and therefore I am not alone. So we captivate, we condemn thoughts. Now, at this point, when we captivate and condemn, we begin to kill our bad thoughts. There has to be something that we think about at that point, right? Our mind is always thinking. There's never a time where your mind is not thinking. You can't think about nothing. You have to think about something. And so many of us think about wrong and evil thoughts all the time. It's kind of confusing to us as to, What am I supposed to think about if I'm not thinking about those things that I'm probably not supposed to be thinking about, right? What am I supposed to do with my thoughts? Well, that's the whole idea of having your mind focused on the Spirit. So how do we do that? And I have this uh, very simple thing to memorize for us. Oh, man, I did not erase my homework. My goodness, it's driving me crazy. I apologize. All right, so I have this very simple thing called God works and I move. God works, I move. Very simple to memorize, something I want us to think about. How do we set our mind on the Spirit? Well, first of all, we got to think about God. And this is, who is God? 
Who is God? What do we know about God and his character? That God is indeed loving, that God is indeed caring, that he is powerful, that he's in control, that God is peace. These are pieces of his character. Who is God? It's a good question to ask yourself. And this is the reason why we gather for worship. If you're wondering, why, why do we gather in this place every single Sunday repetitively, sing songs about who God is? The reason, why, the reason why we do all those things is to remind us together about who God is. We want you to have answers about that. It's not, it's not we notice that we don't just take this entire time saying, this is what you need to do. Our entire worship service would just be, here's a list of things for you to do this week. See you later. Good luck with that. No, notice that we spend the whole front half of the service talking about who God is because we want you to know. Because the first thing in having a mind according to the spirit is be thinking about God. Who is God? Well, God's love, God's in control, God's peace, God's everywhere. All these truths about his character. Now, based upon who God is, we now look about how God works, meaning what has God done? What has God done? Well, because of his love, because he's a loving God, God has sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us so that he might take our place. That's something that God has done. God has created the universe and when you walk outside, you can enjoy his beauty. That's one of the things that God has done. God has given you peace. God has given you life. He makes your heart beat. He makes your brain function. He gives you, he gives you air to breathe. He gives you food to eat. He makes you sit inside of a place that's air-conditioned with a really nice metal chair, right? <laughs> um, but this is all the things that God has done. We think about who God is, and then we think about what God has done, specifically in his gospel. Now, this is where it's important to know that God is the one who works. Remember, we are the receivers of what God has done. It's not us moving forward. Notice that the I is not over here. It's God first. God, it's all about who God's character is and what he has done. Now, when we look at ourselves, I, in light, in light, well, I'll draw a little sunshine, in light of what God has done here, who am I? Who am I based upon what God, who God is? Well, if God is love and he has sent his son Jesus to die for me, I am loved. That's who I am. I am loved by God. I have a wonderful chance to receive his grace. If God is in control and he controls all things inside of his universe, then I, then I know that my life is held together by God. That's who I am. That's my identity based upon what God has done. Now we have this opportunity at this point because in light of what God has done, we don't have to worry. So much, We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have any anxiety because what God has done and who I am, I get to move. There's actions and things and responses about what I can do. There's service to do. There's, there's great, there's mission work to do. There's joy to be had. Because of what God has done, it, it tells me who I am and then I get to move. And so we can begin thinking about good thoughts, not just, hey, think happy thoughts. It's who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of what he's done? And then what do I get to do because of what he's done? That's a lot to think about. It should take up some space in our brain. Now, here's the fun part. It's impossible to think about two things at once. Try it right now. Go. It is impossible to think about two things at one time. You can't do it. You cannot multitask. You can't. 
It's impossible. You can switch the thing to thing really quickly, but you can't multitask. Therefore, you can't think about two different things. Now, here's the deal. Here's the fun part. When you're struggling with something that's sinful and wrong and earthly and fleshly, like, it's impossible to have two thoughts at one time. So if we're thinking about the things of what God wants us to think about, it's impossible to be thinking about something that's sinful. And so there's a lot of us that when we get into a situation where we know that our thinking is pretty stinking, we have to stop right then and there, allow the Holy Spirit to stop us and say, wait a minute, God, I just need to have a moment. I need to think about you for a moment and let things calm down and let things dissipate. Guys, you know this well. This is how this works in my own life. I am a red-blooded American male. I have struggles and my mind struggles. And so there's thoughts that come into my brain all the time of sexual nature or whatever. Those thoughts come into my brain. It's like an airport, the plane comes in. And I have a moment right there. Is this thought good news? Absolutely it's not. And so me personally, I have to think through that. Is this thought good news? It can't be good news. It's against, it's against God. It's against everything that God stands for. It's against my wife. It's against my family. And so right then and there, I have to condemn that thought. Call it guilty. Call it a lie. It is not going to satisfy me. And at that moment, I have to go, okay, if I, if, if I, if I, if I say it's guilty, that thought right there in my brain, then I have to think, okay, what about God? Who's God? God is holy and God is perfect. If God is holy and perfect, what he has done is that he has sent his son Jesus to be holy and perfect as well and sinless. And he has taken my place. That's what God has done. The holy and sinless God has taken my place. And it has, in light of that, who am I? I am holy as well. That I am made perfect in the eyes of God. And his holiness reigns in my life. And so there is no room for sinful, lustful thoughts anymore. I can't be thinking about that because of what God has already done in my life. And so, we, so, what, we do, so what happens there in my, in my own life is I now get to move. What do I get to move with? Well, I get to move <laughs> with being able to tell other men in my life, here's the struggles that I've had and here's how, I've, here's how God has taught me to deal with it and you can too. God can use me in this way to stand on the stage and say, I have struggles and you have struggles. Let's talk about how we can struggle together towards holiness because God is holy. He has done wonderful things in my life and he has told me how to be holy as well. And I get to move because of those things. Now remember that there is no way to do this. Let me go back if I can. There is no way for this to happen. I, want you, I just want to remind us of this. You might be thinking, okay, I've got some handles. I now know how to think better than when I walked in here. But I want to remind you that this system that I just gave you, the whole God works, I move, the only way that that works is if you're living according to the Spirit. And the only way that that works is if you've received the grace of God in your life. There is no way to do that. You know how I know that there's no way to do that? Because God says it, or Paul says it right here. It says that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
So if you have never received God's grace in your life and you're like, okay, I do want to be, be thinking about better things. I do want to do better for my family. My mind needs to be cleared up, but I'm not really sure about this whole God thing. I'm not really sure about this relationship with God and relationship with Jesus. I got a whole lot of different questions and I'm just not ready to receive. Then you're not ready to respond. You're not ready to walk according to the spirit. The spirit doesn't live inside of you. So let me plead with you. There is no way, according to Romans chapter 8, that you can live according to the Spirit unless you've received Jesus into your life. And so let me ask you, as we walk forward this morning and walk on out of this place, I want you to think about receiving Jesus as your personal Savior. Church is a really lame hobby. All these things about who God is and what he can do in your life is really lame unless you've received the grace of Christ in your life. And that's simply a personal, it's a a personal decision to say, Jesus, I want to accept the fact that I'm a sinner and I believe in what you have done and I want to commit myself to you. It's a very simple idea. And so if that's you this morning and you need to receive the grace of Christ into your life, I want to talk to you about that. So in a minute, the band's going to come up here and they're going to start playing. I just need you to leave your seat. Come and talk to me. I'll be right over there. I want to talk to you about a relationship with Christ so that you might be able to receive the grace of God. For those of you who have already done that, put this to work. And I'm going to walk you through a little exercise, but put this to work this week. And I pray that the Holy Spirit might convict you this week to be able to do this. So we're going to, in the last few moments that we have, the band's going to come up here, but in the last few moments, I will actually want to walk us through this together as a church and just, I'm, I'm going to be able, I'm going to give you some questions in your mind that I want you to think about as we close out, okay? So let's bow our heads for a second. I'm going to pray in a moment, but here's what I want you to do. With every eye closed, every head bowed. I want you to just get, in a, get just alone with God. I know it's a busy room right now, but like, just get alone with God just for a second. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to go with the first thing that you think about, okay? Name one attribute of God that you know, one characteristic of God that you know. Hold it in your brain, just one. It could be loving, powerful, creator. It could be um, lots of different things. Peace. What is that one thing, characteristic of God that you know? Now, based upon that one characteristic of God, what do you know about what he has done? What, he is, what has he done based upon that characteristic? Now ask this question, based upon that work, based upon what God has done in that work, who are you based upon that? Not based upon other things, not based upon your past, not based upon sin that you've done, not based upon experiences that you've had. What, who are you based upon that fact that you just stated in your own mind? It could be that you're loved. It could be that you're forgiven. It could be that your life is not out of control. It could be that this world is not out of control. It could be a lot of things. But hold that in your mind just right there. Who are you in light of what God has done? 
And now last one, we're going to move. What is God calling you to do based upon who you are? What are you walking out of here with right now based upon who you are in Christ? God works, I move. I want you to walk out of here today with that thought. Father, thank you for the goodness of all of these characteristics that I've been able to say randomly in this sermon. Um, God, thank you for giving us a mind that thinks so complexly. Um, and thank you that, there, that we had no part in our salvation, simply that we received your grace. Thank you for allowing us to be receivers. And God, I pray for more faith, that we might believe in you more, that we would be able to respond because of what we received. Some of this is complicated. Some of it is simple. But God, I pray that you would make the complicated things simple and that you would make the simple things, things that we can do immediately. Thank you for the joy that we get by being in this place and learning under your scripture. God, help us to move out of here as believers who are walking according to the spirit. We love you. Amen.